pretty easy to please type of guy. I'm a peanut butter jelly kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't take a whole lot to make me happy. You know, like I decided in a long time ago that my wife's not going to be the one to make me happy, that my circumstances are not going to be the thing to make me happy, that, you know, uh, the amount of money I have in my bank account is not going to be the thing that makes me happy, but it's going to be Jesus. He's going to be my source. And if he's with me, and the good news is he said he'd never leave me. If he's with me, then I've got a, a well of happiness that no one can take from me. And so, anyways, I'm sitting uh, on my couch watching this fire that uh, I have because I borrowed some wood from my mom. Hi, Mom. Actually, uh, I didn't borrow it because you're not going to get it back because there's nothing left. But... um, but I had some wood from my mom and, I, I, you know, we got this fire going and I'm sitting on this couch. I'm just reading scripture, just kind of meditating, preparing for today, thinking about um, what God's going to do today. And, uh, you know, I couldn't get one thing off my mind. And uh, here I am sitting in this beautiful house uh, with this beautiful fireplace. And like I said, I'm pretty content with like, a, you know, like a tent. You know, I mean, I really am not a picky guy when it comes to this stuff. Um, And I'm sitting there in this beautiful house, and the only person that I could think of is Yusef Nadarkhani. You may have no idea. Does anybody know who that is? A couple of us, maybe. Okay. Um, Two. Great. (laughs) Yusef Nadarkhani is a 34-year-old pastor, and uh, he's sitting right now in an Iranian prison. Um, back in 2008, he came on the radar. He has a church of about 400 people in Iran, and uh, the, uh, the government um, found out that he was proselytizing, converting Muslims, and uh, he was warned. He was put in prison for, I think, a couple of weeks and then, and then released. And then in 2009, he has two sons. His wife, her name is uh, Fatima. I'm probably saying that wrong. But, and then his two sons are Daniel. Daniel's nine, and Yol is seven. And he's got these two sons, and uh, they were being really, uh, Islam was being pushed down their throat in their school. And so he went in to talk to the principal, and he said, listen, um, I understand that, you know, um, that the majority of students here are Muslim, but I really would appreciate it if you did not push this down my throat. That's not what the laws are supposed to say. Da, da, da. Anyways, that made him pop up on the radar of the government again, and he was shortly after that arrested. Uh, he was arrested and put in prison. This is in 2009, and he's been in prison for two years, sentenced to death for apostasy. He's 34 years old, pastor, and I'm sitting on my couch yesterday by this beautiful fire thinking about all the blessings of God and I'm thinking about this fact that this guy is just five years older than me with kids that are the same you know, distance apart, two years apart, two sons, and I'm thinking to myself, he is sitting right now in a prison, probably drugged, possibly hasn't eaten in days, possibly beaten in this little prison cell by himself on the other side of the ocean. And I am sitting here with this beautiful fire in this beautiful place. And I was just overwhelmed. And I began to just weep and begin to pray for him and pray for his family and pray for his kids. And, you know, I, I love my kids. My two sons, they just I open the door to my house when I get home from work and it's like it's like fireworks go off dad and they come running and they grab a hold of my legs and they jump up on me and they say can we go wrestle on the guest bed that's always the first question can we wrestle on the guest bed which means i just body slam them for an hour before before dinner i mean that's what that means and so it's like yeah let's go wrestle on the guest bed you know and and i have this incredible relationship with my sons and i think to myself what are his sons doing right now and through the process of him getting arrested they're trying to get him to recant on his faith for christ and they're trying to persuade him and so they give him all these opportunities to recant they drop off all these books in his jail cell that speak about how uh you know christianity is is false and is blasphemy they drop off all these different materials to try to convince him they arrested his wife they sentenced her to life in prison and then they told him that his sons would be sent to a muslim family 
I mean, what is going through this man's head? He didn't recant. He didn't deny Jesus. Eventually, they released his wife, and uh, the, the sons went back with their mom. Uh, but he's still in prison. And literally, there's an outcry. You can, you can Fox News this. You can ABC this. Whatever news outlet you like, just put in Yusef Nadarkadi. Good luck spelling that. And you'll get all types of information about this guy. I'm not just making this up because literally the world is crying out saying, release him, release him, release him. And it's come down to the Ayatollah making a decision as to whether or not he'll be executed. And there's a good chance we don't know. There's a good chance he's been executed and they just didn't tell anybody. But as I'm thinking about this idea, and I'm thinking about me. And I'm thinking about the parallel between this guy and my life. And I'm thinking about how different our worlds are. Me sitting on a comfortable couch, you know, sipping a glass of water and him, God knows where in Iran. And I'm looking at these contrasts and there's injustice in every part of the world. I understand that. I'm not trying to isolate Iran by any means. So please don't take offense. I'm just using this guy as an example. But uh, as I'm sitting there thinking about this contrast, this thought kept germinating in my mind. Where are the people who will align with Jesus no matter what the cost? Where are they? Are they all tucked away in nations like Iran? Are there people in America? Are there people at Co-op High School? Are there people in New Haven, Connecticut who will align with Jesus no matter what the cost? Listen, it's easy to say, I love you, God, when everybody else is saying, I love you, God. But when you're by yourself or when you're pre- the pressure is on or when your family's at risk or when the financial benefits are not there, is there a person in this room that has something so solid inside of them that says, you know what? I am aligning with Jesus when my family says you're nuts. I'm a aligning with Jesus when my family says we love you. I'm aligning with Jesus when my friends walk away, when it's not popular for my job, when it costs me. I'm aligning with Jesus because I'm aligning with Jesus. That's who I want to be. Is that who you want to be? That there's something so substantive in my soul that I will stay with you, God, no matter what happens on the outside. Now, why in the world would I say that before we have a baptism? Well, let's go to Matthew 28. In your little, uh, your little worship guide there, uh, there's a few scriptures. You can just follow along with us. I want to read three verses about baptism today. And then we'll get into uh, baptizing people. So here we go. Matthew 28. I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm not sure if you have 18 on there or not, but it says, And Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What does that next word say? One guy got it. Baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do today. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we've done some things, and we're going to talk about that in a second, that have shifted this command. Because Jesus made it real simple. He said, listen, what you're going to do is you're going to go into different places. And you're going to make disciples. They're going to commit their life to, to Christ, to following him. They're going to trust in his forgiveness. And they're going to commit to his way. And so they say, yes, God, I can't do it in my own strength, but I do it in the strength that Jesus provides. I give my life to you. And then after they've done that, they baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we begin to teach them all the things that God commanded. This is what the scripture declares, right? And so what happened is that Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter starts to preach his first sermon. And he begins to preach it and tell people about Christ. And 3,000 people respond, right? 3,000 people respond. And what do they do immediately that day? Anybody want to guess? 
They baptized them. So they did not put them through a six-week class. They did not teach them all the basics of the Christian faith. They didn't say, well, here's the 17 steps to baptism. Well, first you have to go to this meeting, and, and then you've got to fill out this form, and then you've got to go through this thing. And then when you're 19, if you've made that, you know, they didn't do any of that. They said, oh, you've believed, be baptized today. That's what they did. That's the model that we see in Scripture. In fact, every time baptism is mentioned in Scripture, it always gives the reference that to it happened that day. And in our culture, what we've done is we've exchanged the process of baptism that we see in the Bible for something different. It's not all bad, but we've got a lot of traditions, right? And so we say, well, we need all the traditions to fit in place before we're baptized. And I go back to that idea, where are the people who align with Jesus no matter what the cost? And here was the overarching theme. And I don't want to offend anybody today, but I want you to seriously think about this. If you are a follower of Jesus, okay, hear these words and think about them deeply. How can you claim, think about this, how can you claim to be a follower of Jesus when you're unwilling to do the first thing he told you to do? Go, therefore, make disciples and be baptized. Baptize them. The first thing. I mean, I'm not making this up. I didn't come up with this on my own. So I want to say something that may challenge you, that may bother you. You might be 52 years old in this room. You might be 19. You might be 17. I want to put out a challenge right now. Maybe you came here today with absolutely no plan of getting baptized. Maybe you came here today because your friend's getting baptized. Maybe you came here today, you know, just because it was church. Today, get baptized. Today. You say, well, well, hold on a second. Wait a minute. uh, I can't do that. Get let's. We spent hundreds of dollars on clothes for you, okay? Here's what I'm telling you. We bought T-shirts. We bought sports bras. We bought underwear of every shape and size, okay? We bought uh, um, uh, shorts. They're all dark. They'll all fit you. If you came here today and you have not been biblically baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, today I challenge you and urge you today, right in a few minutes, be baptized. And I know there's probably 10, 15, 20 of us that your, your head is racing. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, what, I didn't go through a class, but I don't understand everything. But what about all the, do you think the 3,000 that just got saved that day had this class that they went through? Or do you think they said, I want to commit my life to Christ and they were instantly baptized? So maybe you're feeling moderate uncomfortable today and what i want to do is hopefully walk you through some scripture to alleviate that discomfort and hopefully hopefully bring you to a place where you're willing to follow jesus and listen if yusef nadarkani can follow him into the jail cells of iran all he has to do is say ira can't and he's let out and he gets to see his family but he is unwilling because he's found something so substantive that he'll give his life for it if if, if yusef can do that can you be baptized to obey his command So let's get into scripture. Colossians chapter 2. Are you with me today? Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at two passages, uh, two more passages in the Bible, and then we are going to baptize a ton of people. All right? So uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. It's in your little guide there if you want to look at it there, or you can look it up in your your Bible. Colossians chapter 2. It says this in verse 11. It says, in him. Anybody know who him is? Jesus, yeah, it's in him, in Jesus, right? You can read the whole context. I, will, I promise you it's Jesus. I didn't make that up. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, hold on a second. 
We don't have a clear understanding of circumcision, so let's do this really fast, okay? Circumcision was a covenant given to Abraham in the Old Testament, right? So God picks one man, Abraham, because he sees a heart that believes him. And he says, I want to make a covenant with you that separates you from all the other people. You're going to cut the foreskin of a man, you know, you know what it is. Okay, so anyways, you're going to do that. And then after you do that, that means you've cut off the flesh, And you've removed that, and that means you're committed to me. It was a physical sign to say, I am committed to you. In fact, if you look through the scriptures, incredible, this is such a revelation, you could preach on this all day, but in the book of Joshua, the Israelites are not allowed to take Jericho. They're not allowed to take the promised land until every single person is circumcised. Every single male is circumcised, because that was the covenant that they made. Hello. They weren't able to step into the promise until they had performed the act. Check this out. So that's what circumcision was. It was the commitment and the covenant. Now, there's a new circumcision in the New Testament, okay? And let's look at it in Scripture. I'm going to read verse 11 again. In him, Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay, so in other words, he's saying, listen, no longer does the new covenant need this physical circumcision of the human body, okay? Instead, it says, by putting off the body of flesh. So you're not just cutting off a piece. Your old life is ending, is what he's saying. Putting off the body of flesh. Well, how do we do it? By the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. In the new covenant, the symbol and the act that brings you to that place of complete death and complete life is the act of baptism. And I know, listen, there's mercy for all, okay? There's people that are getting baptized today that are awesome believers that have been Christians for 10 years that haven't been baptized. And listen, this is just the culture we live in. Like the culture we live in, people take baptism really lightly. Well, guess what? We're not going to hear. Here, we're going to baptize people as soon as they make a commitment to Christ. We're going to do our very best to baptize right away because we want to follow the model of the scripture that someone repents, believes, and is baptized. So he says that it's the putting off of the body of flesh. Your old life is supernaturally cut off as you obey Christ in believers' baptism and new life begins to flow through your life in Christ. Listen, an act of obedience no matter how simple or foolish it may seem, can release the power of God in your life in such great measure. If you're one of the people getting baptized here today, I know there's a lot of us that are getting baptized here today. Listen, I want you to believe that the power of God is going to come upon your life as never before by the power of the Holy Spirit because you've been obedient in this process of baptism. And if you're debating right now and you're saying, man, I don't know, I didn't come here to get baptized. It's going to mess up my hair. Bro, is it, come on, really? Your hair, really? Let's look at another passage, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And I could stay here again a long time, but I won't today. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, We were buried, therefore, with him, again, Jesus, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, what he's saying is when you are baptized, it is an, a death to self and you're connected with Jesus in his death so that when you come out again, you come into new life, his new life. There's a new resurrection life that comes upon you in baptism. And here's the beautiful thing. In the waters of baptism, that guilt that plagues you is washed away. In the waters of baptism, that shame and condemnation that has bound you, that has caused you to fall back in and fall back in, is broken free. 
you're cleansed, your past, that thing you're so ashamed of that you're trying to earn God's favor, you know, again and again, every day, God, if I just do a little more, if I just give a little more, if I just help a little more, maybe you'll really like me and forgive me for my wicked, terrible past. Listen, it's not about what you do to earn your penance. It's about what he's done to cleanse your sin. And so if you take this step of faith, you obey him in the waters of baptism, that old life is washed away and a new life is born. So let's talk through some objections, okay? Some objections that you may have, and then we're going to transition over into the other room. The first is I want to be clear here. You are not saved by baptism, okay? You are saved by grace through faith. Your salvation does not come because you were baptized, but baptism is the first act of obedience once you've been saved, okay? And so you're saved by Christ through faith. You're not saved through your own works as if your own works could save you. Okay, so don't get confused here. Your salvation comes through Jesus. But what I'm telling you is if Christ truly lives in your heart, then you'll want to obey him. All right. And so that obedience, the first thing you should do is be baptized, be baptized. So uh, some of us have issues with ceremonies. You know, we're not getting come from like we, we spurn the traditions of things. And I understand that I'm not exactly the most ceremonial guy myself. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to downplay ceremonies but i'm just saying some of us are like man it's just a ceremony what's the big deal well you go back in the old testament there's a picture of baptism in a syrian uh um commander named naaman and i'll tell you the story very quickly you can find it on your own time but naaman comes to the prophet elijah and he says i have leprosy and i need to be i need to be cleansed how can i be cleansed and the uh the prophet sends his servant to go tell naaman naaman listen go dip in the jordan river seven times and naaman thinks this is silly I came all the way out here to Israel just to dip in a dirty pond, which our baptism is a little funky. So those of you that are going in, you're getting the whole Jordan River experience today, folks. So, uh, so um, you know, he says, I'm not going in that dirty pond. He said, are you kidding me? I don't want to go in a dirty pond. I could have had a nice bath in Syria. Why did I come all the way out here? And he begins to leave frustrated. He's like, I'm not doing that stupid thing. Dying of leprosy. And his servant says to Naaman, hey, uh, Naaman, um, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but if he told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? He told you to do something simple. Why don't you just do it? And Naaman says, you know what, fine. And he goes to the Jordan River, he dips himself seven times, and his leprosy is cured. You see the picture here? It's sometimes it's the simplest things that bring the greatest freedom. Sometimes it's the simplest acts of obedience that bring the greatest release of God's power. Another thing that people get confused about here is they say, well, hold on a second. I, I, you know, I've gone to a different church my whole life, and I'm here today. Maybe I'm just visiting, and I can't get baptized into your church. Here's a good piece of advice from the person leading the church. Well, hopefully Jesus is always leading the church. You're not get, I don't want you baptized into my church, okay? I don't. Because we don't baptize people into our church. We baptize people into Jesus, okay? And so if you're here as a visitor, you're from Wyoming, and you're just here visiting, but you've never been baptized, and God convicts you right now, and you say, gosh, I've been following Jesus for five years, and I still haven't been baptized. Get baptized today in obedience to Christ, okay? And then go back to your home church and be blessed. We're not trying to recruit membership today. We're trying to be obedient to the gospel today. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not baptized into our church, into our denomination, into our affiliation. None of those things. You are baptized into Jesus, okay? That's what the bible always says and that's what we do all right so you're not being baptized into us you're being baptized into him is that clear everybody cool with that now you might have a whole bunch of family traditions you know i was baptized as a little baby right a lot of us probably were i bet you 80 percent, 90 percent of the room were in new england right everybody was baptized as a baby right and what you want to do listen here's what i'm saying is it's not that you need to come against that and say that was terrible and this is right don't worry about that today 
the desire of your parents was to commit your life to Christ. That was their desire. And so whether you agree theologically with it or not, I'm not going to make a big deal out of that. Here's what I would encourage you to think of it like. Think of it like, Mom, Dad, you sprinkled me as a kid, as a baby, because your desire was, would be that I follow Christ with my life. And this act today is me publicly as an adult saying I follow Christ with my life. So it's completing, not competing with what you did. See what I'm saying? In other words, this doesn't have to be a competition of whose church you got baptized into. That doesn't matter. What matters is that as an adult, as a believer, I make the decision to go underwater and be baptized for Christ. Making sense so far? Okay, so you might, you might think, well, wait a second. We need a camera. We need a video. We need flowers. We need, you know, we need to do it up. You know, like we need like a special little pendant they give me or something. Like, don't I need something special? Listen, we have cameras, first of all. Okay, but second, so it will be videotapes. So you can have a copy if you want. But second of all, don't disobey God for the sake of tradition. Okay, don't disobey God for the sake of tradition, but instead obey him. Obey him. And here's the biggest one that I think people struggle with. I'm not holy enough. As soon as I get my life together, as soon as I get a little bit more holy, as soon as I get things just quite right, then I'll get baptized. I want to tell you that that is the most unbiblical idea you could possibly have. In fact, you're putting the cart before the horse. It's this obedience in baptism that empowers your old life to die, your new life to come again. And now you can begin to act in obedience. So you don't want to say, well, God, I'll obey you and then I'll... No. No, all throughout scripture, we see people get baptized and then live lives of obedience. So in other words, if you're saying, well, I just got to get a little bit more holy, you've misunderstood the gospel. So let me clarify you today for you today, because maybe you're not a Christian. You're sitting here. This is fundamentally the core and the, the, the essence of the gospel is that God is a God who is perfect and holy. In fact, he's holier than you think. He's so holy that your best efforts at holiness come nowhere close to God. Hear me just for another second here. Your best efforts at holiness come nowhere close to God. And because of the sin that dwells in your heart, you're separated from him. And you will be judged because of that sin. That's what the scripture declares. You will stand before God one day and be judged based upon your sin. And the Bible says there is absolutely no hope for mankind outside of God's means for redemption. And God's means for redemption was that he sent his son. He embodied the flesh. He actually put human flesh on, walked among us, identified with us, and then gave his life in our place as a substitutionary sacrifice for my own wickedness. So 2,000 years on the cross, this is the greatest truth in all the world, 2,000 years on the cross, all of my sin was paid for from the day I was born to the day I died through Jesus. And the Bible says that all you have to do is be born again. You've got to be born from above. It means that you've got to surrender to him, trust in him, and ask him. Ask him. See, he's more loving than you thought. He's more holy than you thought, but he's more loving than you thought. He's so loving that his love supersedes all human love. So today, if you're far from him, he is extending his arms. I'm serious. He's extending his arms of love right now.